What's up, everyone, and welcome to the Elevate Experience. The podcast about overcoming struggles and adversity and how that relates to addiction, recovery, and health. I am your host and the CEO of Elevate Addiction Services, Angie Manson. And I'm Dallas Terrell, co-host and life intervention counselor at Elevate. Thank you so much for joining us, and let's jump right in. Welcome to the show, everybody. Today, we got a very special guest, Mr. Bradley Roth. Bradley, welcome to the show, man. We're so glad to have you. Me too. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course, man. So let's see. We definitely, they already heard the intro about who you are, you know, but I definitely think your coaching is unique. And I think your coaching Hmm. has a lot to do with everybody. Everyone on planet earth will find themselves in a relationship. (laughs) So I think it, it definitely parallels addiction, recovery, codependency, and a lot of the stuff we deal with on our end in the drug and alcohol treatment space. So I really kind of wanted to pick your brain and just kind of talk about what you're up to, what you're doing, and, and kind of just go from there. For sure, man. I'm, a, I'm an open book. Let's yeah, do it. Yeah, right on, man. Well, so I definitely want to know about how you found yourself in this role in your life. Like, did it just land in your lap? Did you have poor relationships yourself? Like, what did that look like? Uh, you know, in terms of it landing in my lap, it's probably the farthest (laughs) thing from how it happened. (laughs) It's probably, I probably have one of the most like kind of indirect routes to how I got where I am that you could possibly think of. Um, and there's a lot of factors that kind of played into that. So I don't want to make it too long, but if I, I guess if I backtrack a little bit, that might kind of help provide some context. Yeah, you got the runway. The floor is yours. Awesome. So uh, I'll start with, we'll see where this goes, but, um, basically growing up, I grew up in a very kind of strict Catholic traditional family. My mom and dad both came from like massive Midwestern Catholic families. And so it was me and my three little sisters and my mom homeschooled us from uh, a young age. So basically like from, you know, kindergarten through, for me, it was through seventh grade and, uh, Cause she was like, you know, the public school is, is dangerous right. and you know, all this kind of stuff. Right. And I hated it. I was like, I, I don't want to be sitting here with my mom and my sisters doing work. I was like, I want to be out with my friends who I like, I met through boy scouts and sports and stuff like that. And they tell me about, you know, stuff going on at school and you know, the girls oh, yeah. and whatever. And yeah. yeah. And so from a young age, I, I kind of like, I never openly rebelled. I was, I never openly fought with my mom because she was like a very kind of strong, um, personality, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't like gonna really get you anywhere. It was, it was just going to be headbutting if I went right at her. Right. So I kind of like, I became that person like most guys growing up who just kind of buries things, right. Emotionally, you push it down. You're like, Oh, you know, I just won't think about it. And at the same time, it also caused me to really crave freedom in my life. So freedom to like be, go out and do what I want and be my own person and make my own decisions and stuff like that. So from a young age, I had this like desire for freedom and I got to school in eighth grade. I went to private school for like one year and then I went to high school. And there again, I went to an all guys high school that I didn't want to go to at all. Mm -hmm. And, uh, (laughs) yeah. And it's funny because again, being when I was homeschooled, I didn't really like inter, I interacted with other guys at, sports and stuff like that. Like I was an athlete growing up. That was kind of my identity, 
So I knew a lot of guys, I get along with the guys, but then like I went to eighth grade and it was mixed. And it was like, all of a sudden I was being thrown into this like co-ed environment that I wasn't right. used to. Right. And it's, it's, I mean, I had sisters, but that's a whole different thing. Right. And so I get to school and I was like, Oh, I'm going to get a girlfriend, you know, and I know what that guy was doing. I, I think I asked out like half the girls in <laughs> class. They all said no. And, uh, <laughs> I wasn't like, a, I wouldn't call myself, like, I wasn't like a loser or an outcast or anything, but I just didn't have it with the ladies. Right. Or I didn't understand. I didn't understand yeah, it. That right? makes sense. And well, in eighth grade is so yeah. young. And so I, <laughs> then I get to high school and I'm in this all guys high school and I'm like, you know, all my friends are in public school. I'm like, you know, I, I want to, I want something different. And I ended up getting a, a couple of girlfriends towards the end of high school because we had like a sister school that we would, you know, do mixers with and stuff like that. But again, it was just kind of like a, Oh, like they're, they don't know any guys. We don't know any girls. So like first person you meet, it's like, all right, yeah, let's yeah, go out exactly. and that sort of thing. So the first person that talks yeah, to you, so yeah. actually <laughs> you're like, that's going to work basically. Yeah. So the first, <laughs> the first one I talked to, I ended up going out with for a few months. Right. Which, you know, again, kind of a silly little non-serious high school relationship. And then the next one ended up being kind of actually fairly serious. That was probably my first like relationship relationship. Right. It was like a year and a half, but she was a year behind me. So then when I graduated high school, she was still, or uh, yeah, she was a year behind. So we, we ended up kind of splitting things off before I went to college. And then I went to college and I went from like this private all guys school to, uh, I went to UConn, which is this big public university. Oh, yeah. So it was like, game on <laughs> freedom. Like, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the possibilities. And it was just like, you know, it hit me hard and, uh, but like in a good way, like I was on cloud nine, I didn't want to ever go home. Cause again, I, fi I finally found a bit of that freedom that I had of craved course. from these previous experiences. But at the same time, I was like, uh, I was like a hopeless romantic yeah, 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 of <laughs> at course. that point. Right. Yeah. And like, yeah, and like uh, you know, in college you go to college and people are, you know, everyone's hooking up with everyone and that sort of thing. And, uh, and I was like, Oh no, I want like a real girlfriend and stuff like that. But like, again, once I got to kind of this like next step, where all these people had like had more experience, you know, just being together and being in the real right. world. I was like, uh, I was like, man, why, why are all the girls I like, why are they going out with my friends and not me? I was like, I'm a nice guy. Right. And I'm sure, you know, a lot of guys out there have experienced that. Like, you know, I'm, I'm the, ni I'm a nice guy. Like, why do, why don't the girls want to talk to me or be with me? Why are they going out with this nice asshole? And that sort of thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Friend zone city. So I didn't, I didn't end up actually like really dating anyone through all through, uh, college. There's one girl junior year. I kind of like was talking to for a while or whatever you want to call it. Um, but I was like, man, why can't I, you know, get a girlfriend. And then that kind of starts to like get in your head. You start to think that yeah. about yourself. Like, Oh, there's something wrong with me. Girls just don't like me. Right. All these like limiting beliefs. And then, um, I get out of college again. I didn't date anyone all for all four years, even though I wanted to, which was, you know, uh, I guess nothing to brag about, <laughs> but then I get out and I ended up uh, getting into CrossFit. So like I went to school for strength and conditioning. I got out, I got a job coaching at a CrossFit nice. gym and yeah, it was, it was awesome. It was, it was like my dream job I landed basically. But again, I got out and I was living at home and so, so I go from all this freedom back to like my parents' mm. basement. Right. And so that was like no fun. And then I'm coaching and most of the people at this gym in particular was, it's like a much, it was a much older demographic, okay. like the town, 
in general just was. So I was like, kind of like the young, youngest person there for the most part. And I still wanted a girlfriend and, um, didn't know kind of where to start. There were some girls I liked again, just boom, friend zone, friend zone. And, uh, and so I kind of went on this quest to like, learn like, okay, why is this happening? How do I like learn to, you know, be more desirable. And, and that's what kind of, I think kind of started my journey into personal development, like reading books and trying to improve myself and, and understand things, understand psychology and stuff like that. And how, like, you know, we're taught that like, uh, by like Hollywood growing up, right. That like in chick flicks that like, Oh, you go do like the romantic gestures and chase the girl. And eventually she'll dump the other guy and go with you. Right. right? And that's just not how it works at all. Right. And a lot of times that's a turnoff. And so just kind of starting to learn like these basic things. And then I started to, you know, have a little bit more luck in terms of kind of being able to understand attraction and stuff like that. And, um, got to a point after a couple of years where I was, you know, feeling actually really confident in that area just from kind of learning this stuff. And then, and then it, it almost turned into like where I was, you know, all this time I'd been looking for a girlfriend and I was like, Oh, you know, now I can get, you know, I don't, I don't like to put it that way, but now it's like, now I, uh, can kind of go date more who I want be with who I want. And I was much more confident. And then it, it almost turned to like, Oh, I don't really need a girlfriend right now. Okay. Anymore, okay. Right. Which is interesting because then once I got to that point, like shortly thereafter, my now fiance came into my life, you know, when you're not looking it for it and it was because, it yeah. And it's like, you know, you, what you chase kind of runs from you and what you are ready for comes to you. So, um, so it's kind of interesting how that happened. Uh, and you know, I was coaching at the gym. She joined the gym. There's and, the uh, movie, you know, things yeah. kind of developed. Yeah. Really naturally from there. And I was, um, she's a nurse, she's an ER nurse and I was working at the gym. And so, but that the gym, like, uh, I know you guys are familiar with CrossFit and CrossFit gyms. And usually there's a lot of turnover with right. coaches and stuff. Right. And at this gym, after five years, I was still working very part-time and I was still the newest person on staff because nobody wow. left, which was like really rare. Yeah. And so like during this time, I had to start kind of looking for other uh, ways to make money and stuff like that. So I did a little network marketing. I dove into real estate. I was a realtor for a couple of years. Um, that's a whole nother yeah. <laughs> story. Yeah, I imagine. Not a great one, but yeah. And uh, so then she's a nurse. She, she's, so she's got a solid income. We're like, you know, we went on a few trips one year back in like 2017 and we got caught the travel bug and we're like, Oh, we want to get out of Connecticut and get away and see the country, see the world and stuff like that. And she could travel nurse. Oh, beautiful. Nice. And so I was like, Oh man. Yeah. And so I was like, what can I do? And I didn't really know anything about entrepreneurship. Like growing up, I didn't know any entrepreneurs. I didn't know what the word meant until I was probably like 21, 22. I, I, <laughs> growing up, like until I, like the end of college or middle college, I didn't even know that people owned businesses. I thought they were just like these entities that just like existed yeah. <laughs> on their own. Yeah. And, uh, so anyways, I was like late to the, late to the game there. And as I got into personal development, which came from trying to learn how, you know, understand attraction and that kind of stuff led me into personal development, which led me to kind of, uh, and, and when I got into real estate, starting to learn about sales, which let me to learn about business. And one thing kind of led to another. And I started to develop this interest in 
business entrepreneurship and marketing. And part of it was because also I knew that I valued freedom so highly that I, and, you know, working at the gym, it's not like your typical nine to five. It's pretty relaxed, right? You're at the gym, you wear shorts and a t-shirt and it's casual. And, you know, as long as you're on time and you like, you know, do well during your class, you're good. So I, I was like, oh man, I can't work a normal job. I'm like unemployable, <laughs> you know, like I, I got to do something for myself. And so that's how I kind of found the social media stuff. And I took like Ty Lopez's marketing course. And I was like, oh, I'm going to go do social media and have my own business. And I'm, you know, in a few months I'll be crushing it and making all this money. And I learned pretty quickly that, you know, <laughs> it's not that simple. And, uh, but I, I kind of jumped off the deep end anyways, because I was like, you know, I can still do this anywhere technically because it's digital. And so we took off travel nursing and I was really, I struggled for a few years with the marketing stuff. And there was also a lot of tension in our relationship from me, not really like she was kind of the more the main contributor financially. And, you know, I was like, Oh, I, you know, cause early on I was overly optimistic. I was like, Oh, just wait, you know, six months. I'll be good. I'll be making all this money. And then like six months pass, that's not happening. Oh, another six months. Like I just figured this thing out, you know, this is going to be it. And it's just kind of like continued on for a while. Right. And so, um, and I think that's something that a lot of newer or even veteran entrepreneurs deal with is that like, you have this vision and it's, you think that other people can see it, Mm -hmm. but they can't always, and you don't always know how to explain it. So there was a lot of a lot of tension those first several years. And also like we didn't, and again, this is my first real relationship since the one way back in high school. So (laughs) learning how to, uh, do deal with that and communicate with that. And again, I'm the, I'm the guy who pushed everything down. Like I'm sure a lot of guys can relate with. And so I don't know how to communicate issues and how I feel. And like, again, with my mom, I kind of, uh, ran or ignored conflict rather than like dealing with it. And so for the first, we've been together just over six years now. And for the first several, there was a lot of this, like, we didn't really know how to communicate with each other. Like, you know, she's a high energy, kind of more emotional person. I'm like a lower kind of, or I don't want to say low energy, but like stable, logical person. And then like, we try and meet and there'd be this disconnect course, yeah. communication wise. And we didn't, under, yeah, we didn't understand how to, um, how to really talk things through things we, so we would both like, and and I think one belief that a lot of people are taught growing up is that like, and this is, you know, kind of half correct is that like, oh, if you love someone, like you don't want to hurt them. And so people refrain from bringing up things because they don't want to hurt their partner's feelings. And what that does is that just kind of bottles up and it leads to resentment and other things. And eventually it kind of comes out in uh, unpleasant ways. Let's just say so. (laughs) Um, so we were kind of in that cycle for a long time and it was like, you know, we'd kind of both pretend things were cool for a while or where one of us would have an issue, but we wouldn't talk about it. And then it'd be a big blow up. And then we'd like, kind of like put a bandaid on it and, you know, keep moving forward. And I think that's something that a lot of people deal with. Right. And, um, and it wasn't until a couple this last year or two that I was able to finally kind of understand, like communication and, um, and the biggest thing actually 
that kind of spurred it all, like this kind of breakthrough to kind of get to that next level was I read this book called uh, The Way of the Superior Man, which I highly recommend for all, all guys to read. And then women, if you, if you want to understand uh, men more, that's I highly their, recommend that's it as well. But I finally read, that's the ticket. Yeah. So that's, that's like my number one book recommendation for that area. And what it was, is it, is it talked about what it really means to be masculine, what it really means to be feminine, like in terms of energy and how polarity works and stuff like that. And what I realized was that like all of this time that we were together, like I grew up in this female dominated household. It was my mom and my three sisters. I was around a lot. And then, um, my fiance was the oldest and she had three little sisters, but she was kind of like the one who was like closest with her dad and stuff like that. And then also she'd go to work and like provide the money. And I kind of felt like I was a failure in that regard. So it was kind of like I was, she, she had to kind of take on a little bit more of like a masculine energy role and also, you know, work She worked in the ER, which is kind of like go focus, like, you know, and so, so she was kind of bringing some of that, gotcha. back, which I'm not bl- blaming for her, blaming her for it all. And then I was kind of like, I wasn't really owning that masculine role in a lot of ways. Like I thought I was right. Because you just don't understand what that is growing up. Like we're taught that masculine and feminine are like, uh, appearances more than they are ways of being. And so once I kind of started to understand that I understood why we were clashing so much. Cause like she had to take on this kind of masculine role in some ways. And then I would try and go from like, okay, like I'm going to be more masculine. And then we right. clash because there wasn't that balance. Right. Yeah. And so that was like a massive breakthrough. And I started to understand like, okay, I have to be the one who, you know, uh, I'll, I'll use this example to make it relatable to everyone is how many times have you and your partner been like, okay, where do you want to go eat? Like, I don't know. Where do you want to go eat? Every and time. Then, uh, yeah. The biggest, every time. The biggest yeah. problem and so, in a relationship sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> it can seem like it for sure. And so what that is, is basically like the female just whether they realize it or not, all they want is to relax and have the man, the man decide, right. And be the decision maker and the focus and like the leader. And so when a guy defers and is like, Oh, I don't know, like, what do you want to do? Like we're trying to please. And we think that that's what they want. It's like, no, that's, that's not what they want. Right. So that's like a really simple, relatable example of like understanding like the masculine versus. So now it's like, Oh, where do you want to eat? And I'm like, all right, we'll go here. She might say no. <laughs> and then I got to come up with like yep. option B, but um, but you're throwing yeah, something out that's, there. <laughs> that's what it's about. Yeah. Yeah. You're taking the lead. Right. And you're allowing the more feminine energy to kind of relax and follow. And so a lot of just different things like that, kind of uh, one, one thing led to another, like one breakthrough led to another. And we finally got, we finally start to understand how to communicate. Like, cause I was like, when you come at me at like a nine level energy and I'm here, and then a lot of women wonder like, oh, why does the guy shut down? Like, oh, he doesn't communicate with me. And, you know, a lot of times it's not that he doesn't want to, it's just that he doesn't know how sure. to, like he grew up like me, like not communicating and stuff like that. So it was just a lot of these things, um, kind of just like piled on in a good way with each other. And I had always had this relationship or, uh, sorry, interest in like personal development and psychology. I'm a big, like Tony Robbins fanboy yeah, and all yeah, that stuff. Right on. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. So, um, I was still doing the marketing stuff. We were traveling, but it was just, it wasn't really like, 
I don't know. I wasn't in alignment and it was it just wasn't really working the way I wanted it to. And like, I'm kind of like working on that, but then like my mind and my curiosity keeps pulling me to like this other stuff. And so I'm like, even though this is in my gut kind of pulling me, I was like, no, no, like I got to build this business first to prove that like I can build a business and then I'll, and then I'll go do what I want to do. Right. And, um, I think I'm glad, kind of glad that I stuck it out for a while because I learned a lot of important lessons that way. But eventually I decided to kind of start my podcast and that has a little bit of overlap with the coaching and that kind of like, I don't want to say it took off, but like, I got a lot of more positive feedback from that in like a couple months than I had in like a couple of years from the marketing gotcha. uh, stuff. So that was kind of like, I took that as a sign, like, okay, I'm going to, uh, listen to my gut and dive into the coaching sooner rather than later. And so I kind of made that decision recently in the last couple of months that like, okay, I'm, I'm going to transition and go into coaching, which is what I kind of know that I need to be in long-term. Mm-hmm. And I started to look for like, um, cause there's, I think another reason I didn't want to dive into it too, is because life coaches, there's like this. I don't want to say stigma, but like anyone can just like throw a life coach in their Instagram right, bio. Right. right? And right. so there's, there's a lot of like fluff and a lot of like, there's no real barrier to entry exactly. for that. Yeah, so I'm always like kind of hesitant. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I'm like, you know, I can't just put life coach, even though like I want to help everyone with everything. And I feel like I can yeah. in a lot of ways. I'm like, that's not, I learned from marketing that you have to niche down at least of initially. Course, of course. That's smart. And, yeah. 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 And so I was like, you know, where can I make the biggest difference? Where, where's like the most underserved area? And I was like, well, originally I was like, I'm going to do health and relationship coaching because I'm a CrossFit trainer and I have a background there and I can help people. But then I'm like, there's so many, there's so much in that space mm-hmm. already. Like it's such a, a saturated space. Um, and then I was like, well, business, I don't feel like I reached a level where I should be really coaching people yet, you know, just to keep my integrity in that area. I was like, I'm not going to teach because there's so many people out there who are teaching stuff that they really haven't accomplished anything in. Right. You see like the overweight nutritionist, or you see like the relationship coach who's like not in a relationship (laughs) or you see, yeah. Or you see uh, like the business coach who's like their only business is is selling their business coaching services. Yeah. So I was like, I'm not going to be that, right? I'm going to be, I'm going to teach people somewhere where I've gone through and I've, you know, kind of walked that journey already. And so I was like, you know, relationships is um, a big pain point for a lot of area. And it's, it's a, it's probably the most under, like if you take those big three health, wealth relationships, we always hear about relationships are probably the most underserved Mm -hmm. by a mile of that, you know? So, and especially for entrepreneurs. And I was like, I love working with entrepreneurs. I'm an entrepreneur at heart and entrepreneurs, they're driven, they're coachable. They want to be the best in a lot of ways. And so I'm like, that's who I want to work with, but they also have their own whole set of issues when it comes to relationships that there's really not a lot of people out there kind of tailor, like catering to them. And so, um, that's kind of my extremely long-winded answer <laughs> to how I got here uh, doing relationship coaching for entrepreneurs. There we go. Well, hey, those twenty-three minutes served. Man, yeah, was that those long? served. That, I mean, that's awesome. You, you, I love the backstory because it's it's the story, right? Like, I love mm-hmm. that you hit on the 
the fat CrossFit coach, you know, or the business coach that only has a business in coaching online. You know, I love that you hit on all of those Mm -hmm. things because it's like, that's, what's true for you is like the balance of the relationship, the importance of a healthy relationship. And I like that you, you're taking Mm -hmm. that on, man. That's huge. People struggle with that so much and everyone can relate to that, especially the people that are work, 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 work. You know, and then the other thing you said that was super cool was the like the vision that you have for your life and hoping that everyone just gets it and understands and gets out of your way so you can do what you want, where people don't work like that, especially your fiance or your girlfriend, you know, Uh, (laughs) which I can relate to that, too, in, in plenty of ways. And I think there's a lot there. And I love the the awareness that you have on your own life. Like that's huge. That's mm. key. The I struggled in this area. This is how I overcame it. How can I help other people not feel that way too? Which in a huge mm. way is exactly what Angie and myself do. We were both addicted to drugs right. and had terrible lives, and we don't want people to feel that way or feel that they can't change. And so we dedicated our lives to helping people figure that out too. And another cool parallel with relationship coaching and drug addiction is that it has its fingers in everything, right? Someone comes into our offices with drug and alcohol substance abuse. They have relationship problems. They have failed businesses. They have trauma and bad parents and everything Mm -hmm. under the sun. So it's, it's super cool. And I I get excited talking about this stuff because it's basically the same interest as yours. Yeah. Uh, you could tell, obviously I got excited about it cause I just rambled for 23 <laughs> minutes. Uh, but that's how it is when you're passionate though, you know, about your purpose, you know, it's, it just comes out and you yeah. want to share. And, and, and I think it's important to be a good storyteller or else people don't understand why you're so mm. passionate and why you care and even what gives you an authority in this area. And so I think, you know, you perfectly laid that out for our listeners and as well as for us to say why you are where you're at. Thank you. Yeah. And that, that was, I think a little bit of the condensed version and it's crazy because I'm uh, I've always kind of been known as a bit of an introvert, you know, like if you would have told me five years ago that I would be having a podcast and going on podcasts as a guest, I would have said like, oh, yeah, you're yeah, nuts. Yeah. you know, that's not me. Um, but that was another thing that I credit to CrossFit because I got out of college and I was like, more than anything, I want to coach CrossFit. That's what I want to do. And I was like, my number one fear in the world was public speaking. Boom. And here's your, yeah. here it is. And so there, I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I'm just going to have to face the fire and, and learn it. And, you know, the guy, the owner of the gym who hired me, he was like, you know, I know, you know, your stuff, your enthusiasm. Like, I know you love CrossFit and all that, but he's like, I'm a little nervous. Like if you can command a class and that sort of thing. And I was like, yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, uh, but eventually I kind of, you know, figured it out because, I had to, and I had leverage on myself. Like, you know, I want to do this, so I'm going to have to get through this. Um, But yeah, so I I credit CrossFit to that. And if that didn't happen, then, you know, I'd probably still be that introvert who doesn't like get out there and and share and learn to tell stories. Yeah, CrossFit's definitely good for that. I mean, you have to get up and and explain things to a whole group of people who may or may not be listening, who do or don't respect you. And (laughs) so it is definitely a good proving ground. And then just the longer you do it, the more confidence you get and the more comfortable you get with it. So I could see the parallels there to just making you a really great speaker just by being a CrossFit coach for sure. 
hundred percent. Yeah, no, I, I uh, I definitely agree with that. I feel like when I started coaching CrossFit, it was, I was the other way around. I had no problem commanding a room and telling people what to do. I just didn't mm. know what to tell them to do. (laughs) You know, I'm like, like for me, it was difficult to like explain what was going on in my head. Like when I think about me lifting Mm. or doing CrossFit, I have all my cues or all the things that I think about but it doesn't translate broadly. You know, they're like these very like right. specific things that I think about. So to tell 15 people what to focus on or think of and try to say glutes instead mm-hmm. of ass, it's like, it was, it's different, but I could definitely <laughs> see that yeah. skill carrying over, um, as a podcaster and CrossFit coach myself. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a great entry point to communicating and getting your thoughts across and, commanding a room yeah it transfers to everything and it's interesting too because like i probably would have looked at you and be like oh man i wish i had his like gifts for commanding a room and you probably would have looked at me and been like man i wish i knew you know how to how to give these cues and communicate it simply and stuff like that so uh you know we always assume that like oh this person has a good or this person's gifted with this you know but a lot of times i'm sure there's things that they could look at for you that you know, they would love to kind of trade skills or trade places. Oh, absolutely. Sure. And not everything's gifted. It is a lot of hard work to get to that point to appear Mm -hmm. as if it's just a gift. One other thing I was thinking, Yeah. oh, sorry to cut you off there. Um, One other thing I was thinking too, which was interesting with you in the, the niche that you found is, and the funny part too, with Angie and myself too, the niche that we have is based a lot off of experience where experience means far more than the piece of paper. I know a lot of counselors Mm -hmm. that are certified to be a counselor, but their experience doesn't show up as much as that piece of paper shows up for them. You can't really read a textbook about drug and alcohol addiction. You know, you can't read a textbook on a balanced, healthy relationship. That is an experience you have to have and have have had gone through to then share with somebody else. So I thought that was an interesting kind of yeah. parallel between the two, the two aspects over here. Yeah. Yeah. There's like kind of the, uh, there's like the, by the book way right. of learning. And then there's like the by by experience by way the of streets. Learning, right? It's <laughs> like, you can, yeah. Yeah. Like you could read about how to learn how to ride a bike, but until you get on the bike and fall over and figure it out, it's not going to matter. And it's interesting too, because this is actually something that I argue with my mom about because my mom is in her mid fifties. She was a stay at home mom with us for all these years. And now she is back in school and she's going to school to become a therapist. Oh, good for her. You know, it's awesome. Yeah. Good for her for sure. But I'm like this, you know, I'm like, there's so many free resources and like, you can, you know, you don't have to wait three years and pay all this money. I'm like, you can go learn like what exactly you need to learn and and get those experiences. And I'm like, you know, if that's what you want to do, cool. But I'm like, I'm not doing yeah. that, <laughs> you know? So everyone has like kind of their different track or, or way of thinking where it's like, oh, you know, some people are by the book and other people are by experience. And it's interesting because then, you know, when you get into that experience, it's like, oh, well, what if, what if this isn't in the book? What if it's not practiced, you know, and that can kind of uh, hold people back sometimes, right? Like my fiance is a nurse and she has certain people who they're great nurses and they 
just know from experience and they've done mm-hmm. it so many times and they can handle situations. And then they get other people who come in and they're like, well, you know, protocol says yeah. this. And they're like, yeah, but you know, protocol, it wasn't this exact situation in the book you read or whatever. So there's, you know, obviously you have to have a baseline of knowledge, but you know, results and application, I think counts for a lot more. Well, I think that's like the big differentiator yeah. with Elevate compared to other rehabs is that 95% of our staff have all been through addiction and all been through the program. And so we are the best mm-hmm. equipped to handle other addicts because we understand firsthand as opposed to the book knowledge, which we all get to become counselors and whatnot. But really, it's our experience of being an addict that makes us the most beneficial to other addicts. So I, I'm a huge fan yeah. of, uh, you know, the practical application of your past for sure. Yeah. Or like the the peer to peer, like I'm I'm not Oprah Winfrey or Dr. Phil like I'm, I'm Bradley, you know, like tell me about your relationship, dude. Like I want to hear about it. Mm-hmm. Like that, that just plays so much better than the, I'm all the way up here and you're down there. Listen to what I have to say yes. to fix your life, you know? Yeah. And let me tell you what your problem yeah. is by drawing on this book that I read. <laughs> yeah. 80 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think that's probably the, uh, I don't know. That's one of the biggest things out there that people get wrong. And that I, I didn't understand either for a long time, especially like in the social media world where like every, we want to look perfect to everyone. And, and like, cause we see all these people on social media, oh, you got the cars, the houses, income, the perfect family, like all this stuff, the physiques like that are, you're like, what the, you know, why is everyone on, on Instagram have like, and I don't, pack? yeah, what the hell? But, um, <laughs> yeah. Right. And so we get this idea that like, in order to succeed, we have to portray just success a hundred percent of the time. And that's like the farthest thing from the truth because it's, it makes you so unrelatable to the average person, you know? And so like, when you try and like show that, like, oh, look at me, I have like the perfect body come train with me, you know, and I've always had the perfect body and they're going to be like, well, you know, how are you going to train me? Like, I'm not, I don't have your genetics or, you know, I'm starting at a totally different point than you're at, or like, you know, look at me in uh, business and then you are trying to get like newbies to like buy your program. And they're like, well, you're like, you know, at a whole different state, you know, it goes for anything and it just makes you unrelatable. So if you can just like get real with your story and be like, Hey, you know, I might be here now, but here's all like, then, you know, not so glorious stuff that I experienced along the way and the failures along the way. And that will make you just a hundred times more relatable. And people are going to be like, okay, I can, I can reach out to that person and they're going to actually understand where I'm at. Versus the person who looks like they, you know, have it all figured out, which again, no one really does. It's, it's a facade. Nobody but. does. Exactly. No, that, that's super yeah. true. And that'll get you a lot farther. So I guess curious, Bradley, about the, the coaching, like when you meet with your clients, like what is, what is your goal for them? Or like, what do you guys, like, what is the intention? Do you have like a script? Do you have a program? Do you have like a general idea? What does that look like? It's a good question. It's a little bit different Which for everyone, good, but yeah. it's actually, I think, key to not go in. Like you want to go in with as clean of a slate as possible because you don't want to try to dictate the outcome. You want to let them set the intention sure. and then help them achieve that. So I think a lot of and this is kind of goes back to our last point. A lot of coaches, they want to show all the knowledge right. they have and like they want to show I like, am, oh, I yeah. can fix this problem. Yeah, exactly. And so they want to just like, and I, and I definitely 
am guilty of this too at times is over talking mm-hmm. and under listening. And um, instead of like, when, when we know the answer to something, you know, it's like you're that kid in class. You like, you want to raise your hand oh, and yeah. look smart. Pick me, right? pick me. But <laughs> like if, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But if, but if you can hold that answer in your mind and then ask questions that are going to lead them to find it for themselves, it's going to retain 10 times more because, you know, if you figure out something for yourself, it sticks a lot more than if someone tells of you. Now, that's right. the, that's the so that's, uh, nature of an addict. They don't listen to anybody. They have to figure it out for themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Nope. I think that's the case for any sort of transformational change is the more that you can put on them and let them come to it themselves, you know, because especially, you know, as an addict, I'm sure you're, you know, your ego is fragile. Oh, yeah. You don't want to be told, you know, this and that, and this is what you're supposed to do. And, you know, cause a lot of the times too, um, and you know, this better than me, but I'm sure addicts had people in their life who were abusive or authority figures. And so they have a bad memory or a bad association with people who told them what to do. And that's, oh, sort of yeah. oh yeah, there's so a the lot last, of that. And there's a yeah. lot of having been on the opposite side of the law for a while. So mm-hmm. there's automatically this, they want to fight against that authority as well. They haven't always been walking a straight line. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. They're not kind of naturally rebellious in a lot of ways. Right. Yeah. That's almost more of their identity is like, I do the wrong thing. I'm a failure. I'm a screw up. I don't listen to people. I never have. I never will Mm -hmm. screw them. Screw that. You know, I guess if I was to generalize, I would say that's more of the attitude or the resistance that you find. Um, But it's actually cool that Mm -hmm. you said that because essentially what you're talking about is motivational interviewing which is like a a type of counseling style, which you were talking about, which is just asking open-ended questions until the client or the person you're speaking with comes up with the answer themselves. And it seems really easy in theory, but it's hard to play a game with someone that they don't want to (laughs) play. It's hard to get someone to say something that they don't want to say. So like it, Right. Or they're used to someone saying what it is. They're like, well, you tell me. What is it? Well, what do you think I should do? Yeah, what do you think I, I should do? What you do know? you think you should do? <laughs> well, I don't want to make anything up. Well, <laughs> yeah. you have to. Well, I'm not going to. Okay, <laughs> how's that working? It's not. Okay. <laughs> yeah, and then you got to break their pattern and kind of, you know. Throw them off. Maybe switch directions. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So, I mean, so I don't have like a set kind of script or anything, but I do have certain frameworks that I like to work yeah. with. So let's and hear about those. I'm super the, interested about those. Yeah. So, so the number one, uh, one that I like to use, and I didn't come up with this, you know, I can't take credit, but is the six human needs from oh, Tony Robbins. That. Yeah. Yeah. And the six human needs, if you can really understand them on a deep level, you can understand the motives of why almost why anyone does anything and how to change it. And so the six human needs are, there's four that are the needs of the personality, which are basically anyone's going to find them a way to meet those needs, no matter what. And then there's two needs of the soul, which kind of, uh, take you from kind of your base needs to actually achieving fulfillment and happiness. So the four needs of the personality are certainty, uncertainty, significance, and love and connection. And so those four needs are always going to be met somehow, whether through a healthy channel or an unhealthy channel. And then the last two needs, the needs of the soul are, uh, growth and contribution. So not everyone's always going to find a way to meet those, but that's how you kind of 
reach that next level of happiness and fulfillment. But like the most over, uh, or most problems come from people having met their needs for certainty and significance in an unhealthy Mm -hmm. way. And so we'll use the example, uh, and a lot of times it can be more than one at a time. And anytime you're meeting three or more needs at one time, it becomes an addiction. And so let's look at the example of like an addict, right? So they grow up and say, they're not in a great situation. You know, they, they don't really get love and connection at home. Their life's very uncertain. You know, they're not really taken care of and, you know, a whole bunch of other things, right? Use your imagination. So let's say they go to school, they get to high school or whatever. They would need love and connection. They need certainty. They need uh, variety or variety and uncertainty are kind of together. Um, and then did I say significance yet, but, uh, but anyway, so like you go and say they find like, uh, a group of friends who is doing drugs. And this is like the first group that, you know, maybe accept, accepts mm-hmm. them. And so then right away they're getting, you know, they're not getting love, but they're getting connection. So they're getting that need met. Then, um, to be cool within that group, you got to, you know, do bad stuff. You know, that's how you look cool. Right. And so you go and you, you know, do stupid things to gain significance or attention that you never got at home. Right. And so boom, right there, they're getting two needs met. And then their life is full of uncertainty in terms of like, um, you know, what's, what's their situation going to be like when they get home each day, or is there going to be food on the table, whatever I'm, you know, I'm using, I'm just throwing out yeah. examples, but, but drugs then also provide certainty because they know they're going to feel a certain way. Right. And they know that, you know, no matter what's going on in my life, I do this, I'm going to feel okay for at least a little bit. And so boom, right there, you're getting three of those six needs met and then you have an addiction. And so if you can get people to understand that, right. Like you said, it's a lot of those like rebellious types who they are that way because that was their way of getting their needs met significance. Yeah. yeah, Growing up. And so like, once you can kind of like understand that framework and, and you can explain it to them, you know, but like help them get there through questions first, and then they can start to understand it. And then what you can do is you can find a more empowering way to have them meet that need. You know, and so more proactive. That's one. That's probably like exactly. And so that framework, having a good understanding of that framework, it's like, you know, if you really get those six needs, it's like you can you can kind of almost like solve ninety percent of problems yeah. out there. So that's I find the most powerful framework. Um, if you if you know it intimately. Yeah. No, I love that. Yeah. I uh, that's like when I think of Tony Robbins, that's like what I think about is like. For me, mm. that's been the most like the all the things that he says, you know, have been that that's the one thing that like when I think Tony Robbins just sticks out like a sore thumb, like the six yeah. human needs. And it just I guess it just resonates the most because it's it's like language yeah. so spot on. Yeah, it's so yeah, simple. It's simple. And like you take all of these problems that you think are like super complex and, and you can make them very complex. And sometimes they are complex, but most of the time you're able to really simplify it and be like, you know, this person is doing this because of yeah. this, 
you know, and, um, and they're meeting this need. And it's amazing how much fits under that. And you're like, oh, that's almost too simplistic. It almost but, all fits under that um, umbrella. And, and yeah. I think we all want something that certain <laughs> for everybody else's problems. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, you cut out there for a second. Could you repeat that last Yeah, sentence? I was saying it's like as humans who are trying to coach and help, we all want something that mm. certain that works all the time, you know? Yeah. Yeah, certainty. It's like most people want certainty so much that they won't take risks in yeah. their life, you know, or they won't, you know, and uh, certainty you can get uh, like depression. You know, when you, when you feel depression, you might gain significance from that. You also, you know, when you're depressed, you know how you're going to feel. And so, um, and you might get uh, love and connection if people feel bad for yeah. you, you know, or significance too. So it's like, um, people can get addicted to emotions and the way they feel. Right? Yeah. And because they, f because that emotion, even though it's not a good one is, is meeting their needs in a way that they're not finding somewhere else. So, um, so that's one that's like, not necessarily like relationship specific or anything, but, uh, kind of, you know, applies to everything, but then there's other kind of more relationship specific things too. Yeah. That dude, that's um, so awesome. They, I love, yeah. I love that you're doing that. I guess my other question for you, if you don't mind answering it is you mm -hmm. mentioned like really struggling to communicate with your now fiance, maybe not really yep. struggling, but you, you alluded to like communicating with her was difficult. Like how were you able mm -hmm. to work through that? Was there like, besides just like, I had to do it to have a mm -hmm. better relationship. What helped you specifically be able to communicate better with her in, in your perspective? What, what helped? So one of the things that really stood out to me in that way of the superior man, like another one of those just major mm -hmm. light bulb moments is that like, when she's like mad at you, she, you think she's like mad at you for doing the dishes and it's like, that's just her subconscious way of, uh, her frustration coming out for you, not meeting some other mm -hmm. need, you know, and realize, so realizing that, like what they say the problem is, isn't always what the right, problem right. is. Right. I like that, you know? And so once I understood that, then I could say like, okay, she's complaining about this, which like, you know, before I would have said, oh, she's crazy. You know, that's not really that big a deal. Why is it making it such a big deal? And then I was able to say like, okay, she complained about this, which doesn't really make sense. So there's probably something else that if I look, I can figure out like what the real issue is that's bothering her or where I'm coming up short in another area. And so once you're able to kind of figure that out, then, you know, she, she might bring something up and I'll sit down and say, okay, you know, what's, you know, what's really going on? What else have I done recently that, you know, you're not happy about, or what could I do better? And those are not, <laughs> they're not always the most fun uh, discussions to have, oh, no. right? Especially when, when you're first starting to have them, but they get easier as they go on. And, you know, when you, um, when you can kind of sit down and say like, because, because the normal response for most couples is like, oh, like you're, you're nuts. And then, you know, you call names and then it just builds right. more. Right. And so if you can sit down and say, Hey, you know, you seem you know, is this really kind of what's bothering you or is there something else that's kind of going on? And then if you can kind of start to get to that and dig away at that, 
And then you learn and then you're like, oh man, I had no idea that this is what it was. And then the next time you're like aware for that, aware of that, you know? And so it doesn't, it becomes less and less of a mystery <laughs> over time as you kind of solve those little things. So understanding that, like, you know, as, as a man, as a masculine man, you're like, you, you say what you want and you say what you mean. A lot of times you're very direct and, you know, very feminine women don't always communicate in that same direct style. Right, right, right. You know, it's kind of like, you know, more emotion attached to it. And, um, it's like a river, like a man's focus is like a river. It's direct. It's going in one direction. And then like, you know, feminine energy is more like the ocean or a wave. Like, it's just like going in all directions, you know? And so kind of learning like, okay, <laughs> uh, she's, it's never going to be a river. Like I communicate, it's going to be more indirect and there's going to be like other things I got to kind of figure out. And then from there, it's just kind of like, once you have that awareness, then you can really start to kind of work away at it. But until you have that awareness, it, it can be a, a bit of a mystery. So that, and then uh, another thing for us was I told her, like, eventually I learned that like, okay, um, when she comes to me with something and she's emotional and whatever, and I, I realized I shut down, right? Like a lot of us do because I'm like, oh, like I want to like respond like quickly. And, but I'm like, I need to be in my head a little bit and process and like, and you want to fix it. Think, That's the yeah, natural think about what I say. How can I fix this and get her to calm down That's true. immediately? Yeah, the fix, the fix it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's another one. That's a great one you bring up. So like when, um, she, she, most of the time, like a lot of times women will yeah. vent and I mean, guys do this too. So like all this stuff I'm saying, it's not like, oh, just men, just yeah, women, women do this because you can have a very complex at this point compared to a very simple yeah. kind of guys. <laughs> well, in some ways it's true. Some ways it's not, but you could have a very feminine man. You can have a very masculine woman, true. right? And that goes for, you know, heterosexual or homosexual, uh, couples, you know, but you have to have that balance, that polarity, but basically, um, yeah. Being able to say like, okay, um, I, I don't really communicate. Like she'd be like, why aren't you responding? Like I'm, I'm saying all this stuff. Why aren't you like coming right back at me? And I'm like, I, I that's just not how I work. I need to process for a minute and then respond when you're calmer and stuff like that. And so we learned to kind of like, instead of being at that, like different energy levels, kind of meeting mm -hmm. in the middle a little bit. And then we, and then it, you know, there's more congruency and it kind of works. Well, how do you become, um, so that how does was a man become a safe place for a woman to vent and communicate without them mm -hmm. immediately getting frustrated because they want to fix it? And necessarily a woman's not just bringing the problem up. She just had a hard day and wants to vent. And I think a man's yeah. natural yep. inclination is to want to fix it. And when you're not receptive to their fixing, they get frustrated and mad and really just want to vent about it was a rough day. Yeah, so... <laughs> She's a uh, ER nurse and a team lead. So she has plenty of stories to uh, plenty of things to vent about a lot of days when she comes home. So uh, the easiest way is probably, and this is not like some, you know, crazy ninja hack or anything, but just say, when you're listening, you're like, Hey, you know, are, do you want me to provide like some feedback and, and solutions? Or do you want to want me to just kind of listen? And you do that like upfront or even like midway. And they'll be like, you know, I don't, I don't know. Cause sometimes <laughs> Sometimes they'll be like, like, I don't want your solution. Like, I don't want you to, you know, I just want you to listen and be there. And she's so like, all right, I'll just be here and kind of, you know, be that, like that emotional rock that she can kind of just, you know, 
bounce stuff off. And, uh, and I think that's probably kind of one of the biggest things about, uh, masculinity that people have wrong these days is that it's not, you know, you could be the, like the biggest smoke jacks, like beer, whatever, like most masculine looking dude in the world. But if you're like not emotionally solid, if you're not like, if you don't make her feel safe and, uh, and all that, then it's, you know, then you're just another one of her in a lot of, a lot of times. So like when we get in arguments, you could let her like get wild and crazy or whatever, you know, not, not saying that happens all the time, but like, as the dude, like if you come down to that level, you know, you're not, you're, you're coming out of your masculine frame, but if you stand there and you're like, okay, I got this, like, come here, give me a hug. Like it's okay. And you can be there and you can be that rock, like in any situation that's like, that will just, it calms everything a lot of times. And so just kind of having that presence and that like immovability and that like certainty in uncertain situations, um, and decision-making, right. Like we talked about earlier with the restaurants, like stuff like that is, uh, man, it's amazing. Like once you start to kind of use that, how, how things will fall into place and, and be more cohesive instead of that like clashing. Yeah, we talked so. on this before, but it sounds like just, you know, for men to, and maybe women have a masculine energy, just learn to hold the space there. Mm-hmm. No judgment, no valuation, yes. no like, I'm going to fix this for you. Just understanding. And that's all that's needed is mm-hmm. holding that space. Yeah, that is that alone will work wonders. And it's crazy. And that's just, it's not something that's taught. And this is one thing I wanted to mention earlier is, um, how relationships are underserved compared to other areas. It's like you grow up, you learn stuff in school, you learn health and fitness and sports at the gym. You learn business from like being in a business or you have a mentor a lot of times, or there's books and seminars and all this stuff. And it's like relationships you learned either consciously or subconsciously from your parents at a young age. And, you know, I would say that the majority is not a great example, you know, with divorce rates over 50%. And then even that 50% who stay together, you know, the majority of those probably aren't like a model relationship or they have plenty of issues that the kids pick up on, whether they realize it or not. And so that's, and, and there's no formal kind of education. Most parents, like some parents will sit down and say like, Hey, you know, this is, um, they'll talk about their relationship and how it works and how it doesn't, but most don't, they just assume that it's kind of one of those things that is just like, it is what it is and you'll fall in love and everything will work right. out, you know, and it's, it's the furthest thing from the truth. And, um, so it's hard, it's hard. Like most people, you know, think that like, Oh, I, you know, I have these relationship issues and you know, it's my fault. I'm unlovable, you know, X, Y, and Z. And it's not like, you know, they just learned, they probably didn't have a great example and they subconsciously learned things and picked up habits. And like, let's say we'll use the example of a a masculine woman who doesn't realize that she has masculine energy, but growing up to like, she desired love most from her dad. And so she became like an achiever, you know, to impress him. And she did sports and she like got good grades and she like was very driven and like, you know, all that. And so she grew up and kind of learned these, you know, this masculine energy. And then she's going and trying to like, you know, date a masculine man, but she's still like 
acting that way because it was learned by trying to please her, you know, get love from her dad growing up, you know? And so, yeah, so unless she ends up then, with a very feminine flash. man, uh, who, who's the counterpart to right. that, then it's not going to work. It's going to, it's going to be like two alphas fighting it out. Exactly. But you might grow up and think like, oh, I want a really masculine man. Like my dad was a really masculine man, you know, and that's what I know, but you became masculine to get love from that. So then, you know, and then, so you're always like, man, why doesn't it work? Why do I do this? Why, why does this happen to me? And, uh, and so there's just always, there's a lot of this confusion, you know, why does this happen? So, I would imagine too, you know, we can kind of, it's just changed yeah. over, over time. You know, I think back to my grandparents' generation and there was very clearly defined yeah. roles. You know, my, my grandpa worked, mm -hmm. my grandma had kids and raised the kids and took care of the household and also worked, but it was more clearly defined roles. So the masculine and feminine was, yeah. was easy to understand. You both went in your place. And then as society has progressed and women are now in the workplace and they're executives and they're holding different positions, I could see where it starts to create confusion as far as clear lines of who's holding which energy and how does that work together? For sure. Yeah. And it's something that, you know, so like, what you're saying for 99.9% .9 of human history, it was the men, they hunt and defend and all that. And the women, they stay home and take care of the house or the home and the kids. And that's how it's you know been. And so now very recently we have, you know, kind of different roles, which there's nothing wrong with that, but there's a learning curve yeah. to it, you know? And so, um, a lot of, a lot of male entrepreneurs would be like, Oh, I can't be in a relationship because um, because I need to date an entrepreneur because that's the only person who will understand me. But then they go date an entrepreneur and to be an entrepreneur, a lot of times you have to take on like a masculine energy and, and that kind of drive and focus and, you know, kind of cutting emotions out a lot of times. And so then you end up, you know, clashing again, because you have those two masculine energies. So it's, um, so yeah, there's, there's a lot <laughs> to it, but yeah, the new the new dynamics again, like it's the teaching and the and the books and the resources out there. A lot of them haven't really caught up with kind of the way of the world yeah, today. No, dude, exactly. And what that kind of gets me thinking about too, and and what I was hearing you say a lot with your examples with your relationship is, it's so bizarre how helpful communicating and just trying to understand the other person can get somebody. Like if you think of like mm -hmm. the classic. Mm -hmm relationship failing the solution is to go to a therapist and basically the therapist is just going to facilitate communication it's just going to facilitate like a mutual understanding right and that's literally all they're going to do yeah so for yeah. me it's like yeah, having that third party yeah third party to help understand and help communicate probably their needs and their wants you know so you're on to something with the three mm -hmm. foundations there <laughs> Um, which is, which is great. It's great to know that it's great that I wish, you know, I guess what I'm really trying to say is it gets me to think what gets in the way, you know, if all we need to do is mm -hmm. communicate and understand better, why can't we, why does everyone struggle with it? What is the big deal? What's the big problem? Even though 50% of people that get married end up not being married anymore. <laughs> so in yeah, your opinion, what do you think yeah, that so is? Uh, I would say it's assumptions. Yeah. It's if I were to simplify it. It's so we make a lot of assumptions about our partner. We make a lot of assumptions about their intentions, make a lot of assumptions about how well they understand us. 
and these assumptions, they build up over mm-hmm. time. Uh, and to steal another analogy from Tony, uh, it's sticky notes. Yeah. So like your partner does something once and then you like create this opinion about them. They're like, oh, they always do this. And then it's like putting a sticky note on the wall yeah, against yeah. them. <laughs> I like that. And yeah. then like eventually, eventually, yeah, eventually these sticky notes, they build up. And then that's where you have all of these like assumptions about your partner that may or may not be true. And, uh, you know, over time you get all those sticky notes, it can be, it gets messy. And, and so like for one, for example, is entrepreneurs, we assume that because we have this very clear vision in our head and we've talked about it a little bit that our partner fully gets it. And a lot of times we haven't communicated nearly as well as we think we did, or they're not going to naturally picture it in the same way that we do with our words, you know? And so like, that's a very common assumption. A lot of times we assume that like, say, uh, if our partner is not doing the dishes when we ask that they're just trying to piss mm-hmm. us off. Yeah. They're out to get you know, us. But the assumption. <laughs> yeah. But in reality, you probably never explained why it's important for them to do the Why, why that means a lot mm. to you, you know? And so that was a big thing for us. Cause I'm the, I'm the messy one in the house. Me and, too, bro. Uh, me it's too. up to me. The dishes, the dishes would just pile for weeks. Right. And so the amount of times we got into fights about that alone, man, it, <laughs> don't get me started, but like, eventually I, I finally understood that I was like, man, she's just, she's not doing this just to nag me. It's because, uh, she like having clutter, like really messes with her mind in terms of being able to think clearly and relax and all that stuff. And so she's asking me to do this because, um, because it'll help her and that way it'll mean a lot to her, right? Right. you know? And so that's like a very, like a really common assumption that people make is like, oh, he's doing this because, you know, he wants to do this to me or she's doing that. And it's like, no, a lot of times they just don't understand the same way you do. And so you have to over explain, you have to kind of look at what your assumptions are and maybe double check them, question them. Because I would imagine too, like, you know, you could act or say something on an impulse or in that moment, but that's not really how you think all the time. But if your partner then says, well, that's how they always think. They always just want nice gifts, you know, or whatever it is. Then there right. goes that assumption that was based off of a momentary thing that uh, is not really who they are or how they feel all the time. It was just how they felt at that moment. So it's probably really good to recheck exactly. in on some of those things as well. Yeah. And you could tie that almost to the five yeah. love languages, which a lot of people are familiar with, right? So like gift giving, words of affirmation, quality time. You know, there's a couple others, but uh, a lot of times you have we usually we have one or two out of those five that are like our top ones that we enjoy receiving the most. And so then that's also what we give the most, but it might not be what your partner, uh, enjoys receiving. So like you might, they might love getting gifts and you think like, Oh, they're just kind of spoiled or greedy. And it's like, no, like that's, that's just, you know, they don't need maybe as much quality time, but like they'll feel, they feel loved if you get them gifts. You know, because that's how they were shown love growing up. Right, maybe. right. And so we make these assumptions that are like so misconstrued and uh, they just get in the way, really. So like, I mean, if you, the less assumptions you can make or, or if you can like a good exercise to do is to go through or start becoming aware of every time that you are letting an assumption about your partner come into your head and writing it down and then saying, okay, is that really true? You know, did that happen once? Is that do they still behave that way? You know, or am I kind of like blowing? Cause a lot of times we have this tendency to take this one little instance and like, remember that and blow it up into this 
oh, it happens all the time when it really oh, doesn't. Of course. And it's like saying, yeah. I've tried so like everything. A, I've already tried everything. I've tried everything to lose weight. <laughs> right. It's not working. Well, you yeah. have not tried everything. Or like, <laughs> yeah. And it's like, you know, like a common assumption for entrepreneurs is like, oh, my partner, they don't really, uh, they don't really support me. You know, they don't really, and it's like, no, they like support you. They just don't see your vision. Right. Again, like you haven't communicated to it. You haven't tied in them to it and how it's going to benefit them. You always frame it in you like, oh, this is the vision. And they, you, you assume that they understand how they're with you. So they're going to be like a part of it and see the benefits also, but it's not always that obvious. And so like you make assumptions like that, and then that gets in the way of communication because then when you go to communicate, you have these like resentments built up and it's just kind of a nasty cycle. So becoming aware of those assumptions or those mm -hmm. sticky notes. And, uh, you know, it's funny now that we are aware of the sticky notes. Like sometimes when she goes to, uh, say something about cleaning the house and she'd be like, uh, she get all excited and she'd say, Oh, you never do this. I say, okay. You know, and I, and I do this too, but I'll say, you know, is that really true that like, I never do this or is that kind of more of a sticky note? <laughs> she'd be like, Oh, well, I, yeah. I, cause, cause there's a lot of things that like I used to, I used to never do the dishes. <laughs> like I was bad at it. And so she got this idea that like, I never do it. And so now even when I do it, like you in her head, like I it. never yeah. do it sometimes. <laughs> Yeah. And that's changing and we're getting better at that. And I have similar, you know, I have the same kind of assumptions, you know, for other things I'm equally guilty, but, um, but becoming aware of those and like each time, you know, maybe take one stick, little sticky note down off, off the mental wall. Like it, it adds up. Dude, that's a, that's an awesome, uh, like tangible takeaway and, and skill. It's funny. Cause in our program, we, you know, in our, we have a, a workbook that we use too, as well, the mindfulness workbook for addiction. And they have a whole section called, it's literally just called consider the evidence. And it's kind of the same thing, right? Take basically an mm -hmm. assumption or a belief that we have and considering the evidence against it or for it and seeing if it's still true, you know, and it's just, it's just crazy yeah. what the mind does, you know, our narrative of what <laughs> we think is happening and the conversations we have with our spouses that we don't actually have just in our head in the shower against them or oh, to yeah. them or with them. Shower fights. Yeah. <laughs> I actually wanted to create like a, a whiteboard that's waterproof for my shower and just write the crap down in my head. Cause some of them are great. Some of the Jeez. ideas are brilliant yeah. and some are just assumptions about my fiance, you know? <laughs> so, mm. And I'll just consider yeah. the evidence. Yeah, whatever frame of mind you get into, you, your mind will take that and run with it. So, yeah. yeah, I know that's huge, man. I could see that being super helpful for your clients and the people that you're working with. Um, yeah, wow, that's huge. One last huge. thing I wanted to bring, I wanted to talk about because you and I, Bradley, have talked about mm -hmm. this, and and again, it aligns with our program. But I know we can all fall into this every now and then, and that, and that is the victim mentality of things and how that doesn't serve anybody or get anybody any better. How does that work in your world? Man, it's, it's interesting because not on like an addiction level necessarily, but on other things that have happened to me, it seems like the world is out to get you. And it seems like, woe is me. Why does this just happen to me? And 
for the first, probably, and I'm, I'm 29 now, but for the first, probably like, you know, 26 years of my life or whatever, I always was just like, oh, I'm just unlucky. This stuff only happens to me. And, you know, kind of, again, that victim, woe is me mentality. And then again, not, uh, I know that uh, I mentioned Tony a lot of times, but he has this one quote that life is always happening for you and not yeah. to you. And once, and I think that's one of the most like transformational yet simple thoughts out there. But once I started to kind of look through that lens, it didn't all happen at once, but over time I got good at identifying those things that happened to me and seeing the reason or the blessing in them. And I know it sounds like ultra cliche that like everything happens for a reason. And again, for the, until the last couple of years, I always, I thought it's like, oh, that's like the, that's the silliest, like woo woo saying out there. There's a lot of stuff that happens for no reason. But once you start to kind of look through that lens, you can start to see that like everything does happen for a reason. And the more painful or the less sense it makes at the time, the bigger and more important, the lesson it's teaching you. And so that's why you've seen so many people have dealt with addiction go on to do amazing things like you guys are doing because you have such a, uh, you know, let's say bad at the time situation happened for you, but what it was doing is it was setting you up to then help others. Right. And so like in my life, it was being homeschooled. I hated it at the time, but it taught me to desire freedom, which has led to a lot of different things in my life. When I went to all guys high school. And when I got rejected by all those women, uh, or just didn't really have the luck through college that, you know, at the time I was like, man, why is this happening to me? I'm a nice guy. But then I, I realized that, you know, that happened to me so that I would then go on this learning journey to become good at it. And then eventually help others mm -hmm. do it. Right. I learned that, um, in real estate, my last deal with that, I was in there went really bad and left a really bad taste in my mouth and I had to pay, you know, a lot more money than I had and stuff like that. And it was a really low point in my life. But what that did was it told me, okay, you're not meant to be in real estate. You're meant to go on and shift into these other things. Right. I And then in the marketing that I was doing the last few years, I kind of hit like COVID came and I was doing okay for a while, but then kind of a combination of things happened that showed me that like, uh, you know, I lost clients and stuff like that. It was kind of like the perfect storm, like a few things happening at once. And I was like, man, it's just like, I have the worst luck was why is this happening to me? But then I realized, you know, it's just showing me that I need to redirect into coaching, which is where I'm meant to be. So I could, I could go keep going on and on and name tons of examples, but it used to take me, I used to never see those reasons for those things happening, but now I can find them almost instantly. Almost every, everything that happens to me, like a bad thing. I'm like, okay, here's the good in it. Here's what it's pointing me towards. And so I think, uh, you know, especially, you know, all those examples that I gave, it's amplified in an addiction scenario. You know, when you're at your bottom and you think like, you know, why did all this stuff happen to me growing up? It's, you know, if you can see it through that lens and figure out what is this teaching me and why is this happening for me and bringing me to the next chapter, then that's, you know, I think that's kind of the secret to everything. I agree. And I, I, I like you, uh, you know, I kind of, and, and part of, you know, the AANA mentality allows you to sort of utilize that victim mentality for your addiction and that sort of thing. And we have sort of taught the other way. But even uh, in recent years, you know, 
there's that saying hindsight is 2020 and I can always look back and say oh at that time that sucked but look what good came out of that and I like you I'm starting to try to utilize it consistently in the present like ah dang why did I hit that car you know and I'm immediately trying to process like well what good is going to come out of that situation Um, and I think it's just a much more causative and positive view that if ourselves and our our listeners and and certainly the people we're helping can take on that attitude it really changes how you look at the world as opposed to you know everything happening to you but everything happening and how and why did that happen and really letting you dive in there and figure that out which is where where the magic is i think yeah 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 i think you realize as you get older that all the uh cheesy cliche things They're that you hear true. growing up like yeah. like <laughs> everything happens for a reason what you know every failure is just like a learning yeah. something like a learning experience yeah, yeah. hindsight like, 2020 oh, no, so like silly. all of them yeah we could replay yeah. them all but they're real yeah <laughs> they're people really have been real. saying them yeah. for years because it's been happening it's been true for years and oh man i think uh yeah. the the one thing that comes up for me on kind of that topic too is like just like the balance of it of not like almost doing like a spiritual bypass like always trying to find the solution, always trying to find the good and in a way ignoring the way that it made you feel. Like I see that come up mm-hmm. a lot too, where people just instantly go yeah, to the solution and instantly like, what's there to gain? What's there to gain? Like how, how can I pivot and this and that? And sometimes it can be a detriment to not acknowledge how we at least feel, you know, um, at least in my mm-hmm. life, I've seen that happen a lot and, and just fix, 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 solve, 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 silver lining, silver lining. And at some point we get so good at it. Like Angie kind of just said, not that she did this, but, Oh, I hit a car. Where's the positive, you know, or like, and then we miss this, like, wow. Like I'm, 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 I'm triggered or I'm like, I had this fight or flight response from the car accident. Like, where am I feeling that? Like there's all of that that is, is missed in the bypass or the jumping to the solution. Yeah. Not to say like that doing it is bad, but there is a little yeah. dichotomy to it that I think is interesting. Mm-hmm. Got to process it. Yeah, I th- that's a great distinction. Uh, I think, yeah, you don't want to just be like, oh, you know, everything's everything's amazing all the time, and kind of put on this. There's always fake, a purpose. You know? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, and I think that's why, like, a lot of these things, I realize them now, but it took me years. Oh, yeah you know, of processing and, and learning the lesson that it was teaching me at the time before you could start to kind of see it that way sometimes. So yeah, you definitely don't want to just be like, Oh yeah. Like everything's great. No matter what happens to me, I'm super happy all the time. And you know, it's fake. Right. But be willing uh, to do the work. Yeah. You definitely. Oh man. I have a perfect example. You guys are going to love this. So we had this client once I can't say anything about him or his name or anything like that, but this guy was basically I was trying to confront him on something and he was like, well, if I was never a drug addict, I would never be around all these people that were ODing and I would have never saved them. So I was born to be a drug addict and I'm supposed to be because I'm here to save people from ODing. So I need to be around all these drug addicts to make sure that they don't die. I was like, why can't you do that sober? (laughs) And he was all dumbfounded. Like he didn't have anything for that one, (laughs) but that was kind of the idea, right? Where it's like, just always finding that that silver lining of like well i was a drug addict because i need to save people and if i never did that they'd never be alive so i'm the shit and i'm gonna keep using drugs right i was like wow 
That was abstract. Yeah. It's a fine line. Yeah. <laughs> it's a fine yeah. line. You don't want to yeah. like create a silver lining where there is none, you know, right. but you also don't want you don't also don't want the sky is falling uh, scenario either, which I think is the more common sure. outlook that. Oh, many yeah. People Especially have. after last year. It's definitely yeah. a pretty common, common oh, yeah. view and lens in the world for sure. Yeah, that's another thing where I know a lot of people who were able to kind of find the blessings in, in you know, everything that kind of happened to them personally uh, surrounding COVID. Yeah. So, and then on the other side of it yeah. was how could you find a silver lining when all these people died, right? And there was no middle mm-hmm. of like, hey, this right. is bad and this is good. It was just like, this is all bad or this is all good. And people struggled yeah. to find that middle ground of like, yes, losing people is very sad, but also we should get outside more, you know, and people just really struggled with that middle ground. Yeah. Not to like get too crazy into that stuff, but it yeah. definitely plays. No, I agree. I, th- I think a lot of people think uh, life is binary. Yeah. Like everything is fully good or fully bad. Twos. You're either, uh, you're either conservative or liberal. There's no in between like, you know, and so like, it's like a lazy way to kind of label of things. And all it does is create division because when you say it's either or, it means there's no yeah. middle ground. Yeah. And so I think that's why we've had just this increasing divide. And that's a whole nother topic for a different day. That'll but, be episode two, um, Bradley. Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah, I think uh, it, it's things in life are rarely this or that, either or. And a lot of times people want us to label things or pick A or B. And it's like, no, a lot of times there's an option C or a lot of times things, instead of being like, left like this point of the spectrum, like at each end, every, or I should say most things are on a spectrum instead of like an either or a positive or negative. Yeah, That's something really big that I've had to learn in the last few years is there actually is gray and it's not black Mm -hmm. and white. There's a lot of play in the gray and it doesn't make it right or wrong. And a lot of times it's good to have that sort of in the middle or both ways kind of thing. Not that you're not committed one way or yeah. the other, but there can be nuances that change things. Hundred percent truth. Yeah, I think it's kind of the lazy way out to label label things this or that. Yeah, because it's harder to you know meet in the middle. Right. Sometimes it takes a. And know, that's kind of that that it, it all more. goes back. That goes back to our like certainty, right? We need to be like certain mm-hmm. about things all the time. Things always need to be this yeah. way so that we can feel okay. Like this person needs to be, these people are conservative all the time because that's what I think. And I need it to be that way because if it wasn't that way, then I'd have to do something more or try something different. So it's strange. It's funny to see, you know, these things just kind of circling back to each other. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. For sure. Well, Bradley, as Mm -hmm. we kind of wind down, my friend, if you could give and I'm going to definitely put you on the spot, so don't don't feel bad. If you could give one piece of advice <laughs> okay. to our audience that maybe are in a relationship, healthy or unhealthy, what would it be? Hmm. You know, it's you know, one concept that I didn't bring up was this idea of, you know, that we hear a lot about personal development, but I like to think about relationship mm-hmm. development. And so not like, what are you doing working on yourself, but okay, how are you guys working on things together? So one thing that we implemented, which we really haven't stuck to nearly as well as we'd like to think, but I was like, okay, each month we're going to pick a relationship book and read it together and talk about it. Or we're going to, 
you know, a lot of people have like their date night, their monthly date night, you know, or, you know, let's go to this, uh, you know, I got Nancy to come to, you know, Tony Robbins UPW event with me. And that was kind of like, you know, a shared experience. And so like just finding these little ways to start working on things together, uh, is huge, you know? And, and so it can be as simple as like picking a book and like a lot of our friends are like, Oh my gosh, that's crazy. Like, how do you, how do you get her to do that? How do you get him to do that? And you're like, what do you mean? Like, we just decided we want to continue to grow together. And that's what we're going to do because I think we're given this idea that, uh, once you meet your soulmate and you get married and everything's happily ever after. And like, if you find the right person, you'll never fight. And all this BS that we're taught and, you know, I blame Hollywood and other, other things for that, but, um, but it's like the work never stops, you know, even though your relationship might be amazing at one point, I mean, people, do you see that? Like, you know, they get married and you're like, oh man, they're, they're amazing together and be great forever. And then like, you know, sooner or later you hear, oh, they're splitting up. And it's funny because we have, people have this idea in relationships that like, once you got it, you got it yeah. and you don't got to do anything, but it's like, you know, can you, if you go to the gym, you get in great shape and you just stop, are you going to stay yeah, you in get great to shape? Keep it. Okay. Like, no, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so if you just apply that concept to relationships, um, and it seems so simple and obvious when you talk about it, but we're not taught yeah. it. Right. We're taught that relationships are, you find the right person and then boom, you're good. That's it. Um, to oversimplify a little, you know, but that's what I would say. I'd say, find something that you guys can kind of start working on together, start, you know, take the other stuff. We mentioned a whole lot in this episode, you know, exercises you can do and stuff, but start to, uh, start to take that idea of, of relationship development seriously. And good things will happen. I love that. I mean, I'm going to call it relationship growth, kind of like personal growth, because I think you're absolutely right. Mm -hmm. You know, we just assume I'm in, it's done, good or bad. For better or worse. Better or worse. Yeah, sick, poor, doesn't matter. I don't have to do (laughs) any work. You know, we're here. And, uh, and, And also as people are together longer, you're growing and you're growing at different levels and you're experiencing things. And if you're not growing together or you're not on that same plane, I could definitely see why that leads to so much breakup and especially because we're in a society is like you don't like it get rid of it you know so (laughs) i can see why you know Mm -hmm. things go bad and i love how you put a lot of attention on relationship growth i think that's just really important for anybody who wants to uh build a relationship and stay in the relationship and make that relationship good you know 20 30 40 years down the line yeah no sure and one other thing i would add on to that real quick is I know you guys are big on the idea of like extreme ownership, right? And taking that idea of extreme ownership into your relationship. So a lot of times you'll hear, hear people talk about the relationship. You're like, oh, he does this, she does that. And it's like, okay, well, you keep pointing and blaming them, you know, in this conversation, is that going to fix them? No, we're, we're here to like, you're here. We're going to work on you and how you mm-hmm. can lead in your relationship. And so how can you, cause like people think like, oh, here's my 50% and there's their 50%. And it's like, no, you're in this relationship. You're both hundred percent responsible for how it goes. And so like taking on that leadership role and like, you hear a lot of like, oh, I'm growing and they're not. It's like, okay, well, how are you going to involve them? You know, how are you going to show the changes in your life and, and lead them and, and have them, uh, have them buy in? You know, and so every, and every argument or every issue that you want to bring up, start with you, 
And this is a huge one. So don't, don't go and like point the finger and say, Hey, we got to talk about this that you're doing. Say, I'll admit I'm doing this. I'm guilty of this. And then once you do that, they're going to like the law of reciprocity. They're going to want to do that as well. They're going to say, you know what? You're right. I'm, I'm probably, I can improve in this area myself. And if you take that approach into each conversation, man, it's because, you know, a lot of times when we're focused on like, oh, this person's making me mad, we're going to make it about them. Boom. Defense walls go up and you don't get anywhere. So taking that responsibility and say, Hey, you know what? I'm going to change. This is what I'm going to do. I would love if you join me because I would love to do this together and, you know, take the lead, bring them in and start with you. That's a, that's another, as long as it's not the, it's, it's not you, it's me. As long as it doesn't turn into that cliche, which has become so like, oh, okay, yeah, the yeah, ultimate yeah. blow off. Right. <laughs> so I, 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 right. I like it better in that uh, more proactive accountability way. Yes. Solution. Yeah. 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 Not like I'm trying to end this. Yep. So I, I'm going to say it's my fault, but more like I want to fix this. So I'm going to admit it's yes, my fault. Exactly. Not, not a breakup yeah. scenario. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. No, man. I love that. Those yeah. are, those are massive takeaways. Uh, super helpful, super impactful. And I, 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 I preach the same thing, man. Responsibility breeds responsibility. And in like the big one mm-hmm. of like, what are you doing to create a relationship? You know, you don't just have it, you create it. And oftentimes you don't yes. have it cause you're not creating one. And what would it look like if you created a better one? You know? So I dig everything you're saying. I know that your clients are definitely getting, they're getting help, dude. And I, I really commend you for doing that work. It's hard work, but it's rewarding work. Yep. For sure. Yeah. hundred percent. Well, thank you so much for coming on our show today. I think we provided a lot of valuable content for our listeners. Um, Anybody who's who's listening that wants some good, solid advice and takeaways and actionable items on relationships. This is it. Yeah. (laughs) This is the place to be. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, this was a lot of fun. You guys made it real easy to, uh, to share and to talk. And yeah, I hope your audience gets a lot out of this, even though it's maybe a little bit of a different spin or focus than maybe they're usually all good. Maybe they need to be hearing this for a reason. You know, (laughs) maybe we did this on purpose audience. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, (laughs) But Mr. Bradley, where can uh, our audience find you if they want to know more from you, if they want to hit you up tomorrow because things with their wife is on the rocks, where can, where can they find you, my friend? Yeah. So the easiest would probably just be Instagram. It's just at uh, Bradley underscore gotcha. Roth. You know, hit me up in the DMs there. Uh, Bradley Roth on Facebook cool. too. And then uh, I guess the one other place that could find some more content, not necessarily relationship specific, but uh, the Not Most People podcast, which uh, I'm actually, Angie's coming Ooh, on soon. Nice. So that'll be yeah, fun. I'm excited about there that. There we go. Yeah. She's not like yeah. most people. So that's so. perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. That's a whole nother story. So yeah. Well, dude, that's awesome. I'll make sure to put that all in the show notes. And you know, like I said, man, this has been awesome. I love these topics. This is, this is a wheelhouse one for me. I love this stuff. And, uh, Bradley, it's been Mm -hmm. awesome, dude. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. It was, it was a lot of fun. 
All right, guys, that's our show for today. We hope you found some value from listening. And if you did, please share with someone you know or love. You can find us on social media. We are at Elevate Addiction Services. And if you or a loved one are struggling with addiction, please call our toll-free confidential 24-hour helpline at 833-33-SOBER or visit our website at elevaterehab.org.